What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, lightning struck again. Tampa Bay gets it done at home while the fave cashes in more ways than one. I'll break down how the handicap for the final was actually pretty good, even though the series didn't go as hoped. But Montreal gets their proper credit for our very profitable Stanley Cup playoffs run. Then it's game two of the NBA Finals. Am I playing the side or total? And what prop bets are we willing to make after what we saw in game one? Finally, what to do about our Italy futures at Euro 2020 as they go head-to-head with England after a wild finish yesterday. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And there it is, the end of the NHL season. Tampa Bay wins the Stanley Cup. Again, not wholly surprising. Certainly, we thought they would win yesterday, uh, much to our chagrin. That being said, we do cash our final bet of the year, and that's the under, right? And that couldn't have got there any easier with the one nothing victory. Not remotely important at all. The Uh, given the fact that it was the last game and we don't need this for any sort of predictive reasons. But just to put a cap on it, yesterday's game, 1.55 to 1.24 in the expected goals, 4-5 on 5 category, 7-7 in high danger chances. And the difference being that Tampa converts their one one of their seven high danger chances while Montreal goes 0 for 7. And that's a summation, right? Like that's a summation of the series, right? Both teams, I shouldn't say both teams having equal high danger chances because that's certainly not the case, but you know, few chances, right? We didn't see much in the way of double digit chances. That's just how the Stanley Cup final is often played because these teams get so banged up through the absolute war that is the Stanley Cup playoffs. We always talk about like it's hard to score goals, right? And when you are that banged up, you're just going to have lower scoring games unless kind of fluky stuff happens. So every time a game has gone over in this series, it's been because of some pretty crazy bounces. And you could see yesterday, there were bounces to be had there that, you know, I I look at the first period, there was a Patrick Maroon deflection where Carey Price has it all covered. He deflects it down sort of, you know, around the pad area, right? And if that's sort of game two, game one, feels like that's a puck that might find its way into the net. A couple of other ones, right, that just didn't find their way into the net. And that sometimes is the difference. And so the one high danger chance, though, this is the purest hockey thing you can possibly have, right? It is a one-on-one battle between guys who are not on the poster, right? You've got Joel Edmondson and, you know, the rookie for Tampa Bay, Colton. He gets his, he gets to the net, you know, you, they battle on the boards and he gets to the net first. Uh, Edmondson's unable to wrap up Colton. He's unable to take his stick away. Colton gets his stick down and Savard, right? Like the fifth best defenseman, maybe even the sixth best defenseman on Tampa Bay. He puts this pass right on the tape of Colton and he can kind of do nothing but score in that situation, right? And so it isn't Stamkos, it isn't Kucherov, it isn't Point, it isn't any of the Montreal guys that we've, you know, sort of grown accustomed to getting goals, right? Whether it's you know, Toffoli, Anderson, Suzuki, Caulfield, etc., right? It just comes down to one battle. And it's a battle between a rookie and a guy who has a Stanley Cup ring, right? One of the few people on Montreal that had a Stanley Cup ring going into this series going into the playoffs and people get all wrapped up in that Stanley cup ring, the experience and blah, 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 blah. But like a rookie beats him on that play, right? So the ring couldn't help him at all. And so that's the difference. One, nothing, but the true difference, right? Is Vasilevsky. And it was always Vasilevsky. And my partner, Emily and I just finished over the weekend, mayor of Easttown HBO show, incredible watch, like exquisitely done um, and just, you know, literally not one second wasted uh, from a television programming standpoint. And the point of this is, is, you know, we watch a show, we watch a movie, right? And it's like a whodunit type situation, right? Where you're trying to figure out clues and all that sort of thing. Well, sports can be like that too. A season can be like that too, where Andre Vasilevsky, we talked about him over and over and over over the course of the regular season. Anytime he wasn't in net for Tampa, it was an automatic bet on the other team, right? It was an automatic Tampa fade when he wasn't involved. And when he was involved, 
even though their metrics weren't all that great all season long, we tried to steer clear from fading Tampa Bay where we could. And we talked about how they had become this defensive team that was relying on Vasilevsky. And hindsight being 2020, you know, we go into this season and this postseason. And when we looked at Tampa Bay, right, we saw a couple of things. One, we saw this team with an incredibly difficult route, right? They were on the road for game one because of finishing in third place in their division against a Florida team that had just beat them two in a row at the end of the regular season, who had looked like they could play with Tampa Bay. And by and large, they could for the first three to four games. Their metrics were better than Tampa Bay's. Unfortunately, Tampa Bay had gotten Stamkos and Kucherov back, and Florida could do nothing about Tampa Bay's power play. And Tampa Bay racked up goals enough to take a lead in that series. By the time Florida was able to find the third goaltender, the guy that they should have probably had all along, but of course we know why they couldn't, because they weren't going to turn to a 20-year-old goaltender in the first game of that series. But by the time they go to Spencer Knight and they get solid goaltending from him, it was too late. And then Tampa Bay has to then go to Carolina. No home ice advantage there, right? And those were the two teams you know, that we knew Tampa Bay was going to play. Now, if we had known that they were going to play, say, the Islanders and then Montreal at the start of the playoffs, then plus 750 for their Stanley Cup futures would have looked a lot more appetizing, right? But, but because of the format, right, and I think we sort of maybe forget this now, when we come into the playoffs, Tampa Bay being third place in that division, on top of being on the road for the first two series, they were also there was also a high probability that they were going to be the fourth seed come the semifinals, which meant that they were probably going to face Colorado or Vegas in the third round before they even got to the Stanley Cup final. And so when we looked at it from that standpoint, plus 750 for Tampa Bay, frankly, looks like a really bad bet versus just kind of playing Tampa Bay, in, you know, if we liked them um, over the course of four series. Now it ends up that they get a much better route, right? The, in theory, easiest teams, or certainly the easiest two teams potentially, at least according to the standings, were their last two. And that's kind of something that's pretty unforeseen if your seeding is as low as Tampa Bay's was going into this tournament, right? It was this incredible outlier that it actually kind of got easier as it went from at least, again, a standing standpoint. Now, obviously, Montreal was much better and all of that sort of thing, right? Like, we don't have to tell you that. We've certainly made enough money on Montreal this postseason to understand that they were much better than the market and basically everybody gave them credit for. But, you know, when we look back on it, we go, okay, like, oh, man, plus 750 on Tampa Bay, like, we should have done that. But, like, that's not really what was happening, right? That's not really what it looked like when, the, when these series, you know, all eight series started about, you know, what, two months ago now. But the other thing is, when it comes to Vasilevsky, you know, we look at it and we go, man, like, there's a lot of Conn Smythe options on this team, right? Stamkos is an option, of course. Hedman won it last year. Kucherov's an option, even though we're not really sure what his deal is because he hasn't played all season long. Braden Point, right? And we talked about the pie when you talk about Conn Smythe, right? Like, there isn't much in the way of pie left for anybody other than Carey Price for Montreal, Right, even before the playoffs started. Same thing with Varlamov for the Islanders. We had him. Hellebuck for the Jets. We had him. And then from a skater standpoint, Connor McDavid. Remember that, right? Like, who's going to win a Conn Smythe on the Oilers other than Connor McDavid? The answer is nobody, right? And it's the same thing for all of those teams. But when you get to Tampa Bay and you go, okay, like, there's just not that much of a probability of a goaltender winning this award. They did it last year and he didn't win this award. And there was a couple of other guys who were even ahead of him to win this award. But if we had known, if we had or if we had seen the clues, right? If we had seen the hints in episode one, right, back in January, if we had seen the hints in episodes two, three, four, five, six during the regular season, we would have known that all of those other guys are really just creating value on Vasilevsky, right? In that all of these other goaltenders on all of these other teams, their odds aren't that much different than their teams, right? I mean, from at least a percentage standpoint, right? Like Hellebuck, the Jets are 20 to 1 and Hellebuck's 30 to 1. And so there's some value there. But the Lightning at plus 750, whereas like Vasilevsky, he's up in like the 20, 25 to 1 area, right? Like that's three, four, five times the odds that you were getting on Tampa Bay to win the Stanley Cup. And so in some cases, and this is a lesson going forward, if we can remember these lessons next year, 
you know, sometimes all these other guys, the Stamkoses, right, the pie that they're taking as from a probability standpoint, um, Hedman to do it a second straight year, the probability that they're taking are really just actually increasing the value on a guy like Vasilevsky. So kudos to anybody out there who grabbed Vasilevsky on, you know, at that number. Um, you know, you certainly had, uh, I don't want to say more faith necessarily, but you know, you, you caught some breaks in, along the way as far as the path is concerned, but you certainly had more faith that Tampa Bay was going to be able to get through the gauntlet that we thought that they were going to have to get. Now, obviously, it wasn't just the fact that they played Montreal in the Stanley Cup final that was a boon a you know something fortunate for them it was the fact that montreal you know knocks off toronto which then sort of starts the path of montreal being the four seed remember we got to that point in the second round where it was okay we already know the bracket because whoever wins this jets montreal series is going to be the four seed well if montreal doesn't pull that off against toronto and i'm not saying toronto would then go on to win the stanley cup that's not the point the point is is that the matchups all shift right? It then becomes, you know, again, Toronto wins that series. They, I'm guaranteeing you they were going to beat the Jets in the next round. Um, and now Toronto is sitting there in that sort of 2-3 matchup. And, you know, whether that's up against Tampa Bay because the Islanders, right, they were, you know, fourth best team in the East. Or, you know, whether that means, right, like it, it could have been Tampa Bay versus Toronto and then Tampa Bay versus either Vegas or Colorado. And that's a way, way bigger task. And that's, you know, the most likely task going into the playoffs. But that's not what happened because the most likely thing doesn't necessarily always happen. Speaking of most likely things, 4-1 to one series here, right? Tampa Bay in 5 was the favorite. We talked about that coming into the series at plus 300, right? That is an implied win probability of 25%. And that ends up being, quote-unquote, correct, right? That ends up being the thing that happens, right? So the favorite didn't just win this series from a team standpoint, but the favorite in the actual game's you know, that happened too. And so, you know, if you want to look sharp with your buddies and you're not, you know, necessarily making a bet, all you have to do is look up the odds and see, oh, four to one Tampa Bay is the favorite here. That's the most likely thing according to the market. Well, I'll just say four to one. You tweet that out and you get some likes and whatnot for being correct. But the point is, is that that was the most likely thing that was going to happen. Now, my number suggested that closer to 15%. 15.8% is officially where I had uh, lightning in Five. My most likely result was lightning in six, right? Being an 18% chance, right? And so effectively what my model had was a wider dispersion of what could possibly happen, right? So if the market says the most likely thing is a 25% chance of happening, I'm always just going to kind of reject that notion, especially come the Stanley Cup finals. Now it's obviously a different story when it's you know, Colorado, St. Louis, and then it's a different story in a different way when it's two more evenly matched teams where, you know, seven game series is the more common prediction or, you know, both teams, right? You know, you look at the mainstream media and they go and they make a pick and half the, you know, half the people have one side, half the people on the other side. Obviously that's a lot closer to seven games. And so when mainstream media picks based on, they should, what they should be doing is they should be doing it off of a, even money series line, right? So instead of asking people from Sportsnet or ESPN or whomever, you know, who do you think is going to win this Stanley Cup? Like, yeah, everybody's going to say Tampa Bay, right? I said before the series started, like, I would say Tampa Bay. I would have said Vegas probably back then. If the only question, you know, if the only answer is a yes, no proposition here, I'm obviously going to take the thing that I think is more probable to happen. But of course, we're doing sports betting here. And values are you know, attributed to these teams. And so what the question should be in that case is they should find what the closest thing to kind of an even money thing is. And that's Tampa minus two and a half, right? So you get if Tampa sweeps or if you and you get if Tampa gets uh, the series done in five games, but anything other than that gets credit to Montreal. And that's how betting works, right? Where you look at it and you go, okay, this series is, you know, minus 110 on either side of, min of minus two and a half games. That should be the way that people play this, right? And if you're able to guess, you know, I shouldn't say guess, but if you're able to predict, if you will, Tampa Bay minus two and a half, then you get the money for that. You get around even money for that. And so that should be how it's done. As far as our handicap before the series, uh, Montreal, right? We'll 
the handicap was, I think they hold Tampa Bay's power play, right? The thing that we're most afraid of Tampa Bay, every time they go on the power play, it's completely terrifying. The puck zipping around, right? That's how they beat Florida. Frankly, that's how they beat all three teams that they played. I mean, obviously you could make the case that they beat the Islanders literally by a shorthanded goal, but still, um, that was correct, right? Like, you know, we did it. We got that, we got that correct, right? Two for 20 something on the power play is, you know, obviously around 10%, which certainly isn't the 40 or the 35% that Tampa Bay was averaging going into this series. And so if they were, you know, getting 20 power plays over the course of five games, and they were averaging 35% the way they had all throughout the rest of the postseason, they would have scored seven goals, right? That's five more goals than they scored. So from a handicapping standpoint, right, if the average amount of goals that they were going to score on the power play based on their percentage was seven, you know, taking five goals off of that team should have been something of a detriment, right? Even if they had, you know, scored 20% on the power play and they scored four goals, right? Like we ended up on the right side as far as the expected goals on the power play from a very literal standpoint, right? They didn't score nearly as many goals as if you had bet on Tampa Bay, you would have expected them to score. We thought that Montreal could slow the top Tampa Bay gunners, right? Again, the things that we're afraid of Tampa Bay, right? They've got Point, they've got Kucherov and Palat, that line is sick. The second line is Stamkos, you know, et cetera. And it's just, oh man, over and over and over again. Well, Kucherov gets three goals. One of them, a backhander off of a guy's arm. The other one, a on a two-on-O because Montreal couldn't execute a line change. Very basic stuff in the NHL. And the other one, a very viable, you know, face-off win, wrist shot from the slot, right? Something that Montreal struggled with throughout much of the postseason, but something that you would expect, right? If I had said to you, hey, Montreal's going to botch a defensive zone play here and Kucherov's going to take advantage of it the way that Pacioretty did in the previous series and, and other, and I believe Shifley in the, in the series before that, and you'd go, yeah, okay, like that makes sense, right? So when we're talking about handicapping games here, whether it's hockey, basketball, baseball, tennis, whatever, we're trying to predict the most likely thing to happen. And so it's very likely that they're going to botch that play. Is it as likely as them botching a line change and having a two-on-o where Kucherov is three feet away from, from Carey Price for a one-timer? Like, that's less predictive, right? Is it predictive that Kucherov backhands one from the boards and it goes off of, uh, who was it? I don't even remember which guy it was, uh, off of the defenseman's arm and goes in the net? right? Those two goals aren't predictive. The one goal is, right? Stamkos's one goal comes on a power play for a five, you know, five, one lead late in the game that had gotten away in game one. But other than that, he was not dangerous through five games of this series and really any way, shape or form. Did Braden Point even score a goal? I actually don't even think he did. And so if I told you all of those things were going to happen, you're going to like Tampa Bay a lot less, Right. When we look at the pay, uh, you know, the payout, we're looking at the price that you would have had to pay for Tampa Bay. And I say to you, well, Kucherov gets three. He'd be like, oh, OK. Stamkos gets one point, doesn't get any. Like, are you fine with those three guys combining for four goals over the course of a series? And are you still willing to pay minus 270 for that result from a series standpoint? The answer is probably no. So from a handicapping standpoint, the concern about offense for Montreal, right? It's why we weren't on the table as far as like, this price is crazy. Like this is outrageous because we know about Vasilevsky. We know about Tampa Bay's ability to, to play low scoring games. And so while we were correct about that, we would prefer that we were not, right? We didn't get much from Caulfield, from Toffoli. Suzuki was good, right? Anderson had his game. And listen, I like Josh Anderson a lot more after the last two games than I did before these last two games. And if there's a way to tap into angry Josh Anderson play, I think Montreal's got to do that, whether they got to just slap him in the face before every game starts next season or what. But of course, the difference was, right, the back-end guys. The back-end guys for Tampa Bay and, frankly, the breaks early on. So when we talk about Kucherov even scoring three goals, right, there's obviously a fortunate goal in there. Um, the back-end guys, the top, or excuse me, the bottom six, those guys are making the difference. And when you look at it, I don't know that we saw a ton of people talking about, you know, Gord, Colton, um, you know, all of these other guys. Uh, geez, uh, I'm blanking right now. Maroon. Um, it's funny, we're 12 hours from the uh, final end of the season. I'm already like washing my brain of all of these guys. Um, 
I'm clearly missing the main guy who scored the goal in uh, in game two. But the point is, is like all of those guys. If you just if you just ri- listed those guys, and then for Montreal, I listed you their bottom six, right? The Corey Perrys of the world, the Gallagher's, um, you know, even the Deneau line and 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 Lekkinen and Byron, right? Like the guys who had contributed offensively. If I had said to you, it's going to come down to a matchup between those two lines on either side. You'd be like, okay, like I still kind of feel like Montreal maybe doesn't have an advantage here. But again, when it comes down to the pricing at plus 200, plus 220 to win a series, 240 to win a series, or for this series to go more than five and a half games, if we're playing bottom six against bottom six, essentially evenly, you'd have taken that too. So Tampa Bay goes and they get there and they win in five games. And, and again, more credit to them. You can have a bad game in a series. That's the thing for seven, you know, seven game series, whether it's basketball or hockey, you can play a bad game. You know, we saw Vegas lose seven to nothing to Colorado and still win the series. But if you're throwing a bad game in there, but you're also throwing a game where you just get absolutely no breaks, and then you throw in a game where their Consmith winning goaltender steals one, then that's where things are going to get out of hand. That's where things are going to get uncomfortable if you're Montreal. And so again, kudos to you know Tampa Bay. Uh, I thought it would be Tampa in six um, from a sort of you know, uh, betting standpoint. Uh, I thought we should be getting to a sixth game and it just didn't happen. And that's okay. We certainly did very well on Montreal and very well for the playoffs, which brings us to the final record. Um, tweeted it out even before, you know, last week when it went when it was three nothing down. Obviously, we caught the under yesterday, so that helped a little bit. But from a series standpoint, there were 15 series. We bet on 14 of them. We had some action on 14 of those series, and we went nine and five on those 14 series. And the real blemish was the second round. We actually went one and three. And so other than that, you know, we went, we only had two losses the rest of the way. The first round, you'll recall, was a super awesome, you know, experience for everyone. The only series we didn't play was Tampa Bay and Florida, right? Because of all the uncertainty there way, way, way back when. From a game standpoint, and this is funny because, you know, obviously we bet a lot of underdogs, right? A lot of plus money stuff, whether it's regular season or the postseason. We always talk about, can we just go 500 here? Can we go 50-50 here and win basically just the underdog money, right? The plus money that we average out over the course of the season. And I talk about point spread sports, NBA, and certainly the NFL, and co- certainly college basketball as well, where the goal, right, is 55%. And what's funny is that we go 27 and 22 in these games for the playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, which is 55%. So we did better than sort of our expectations based on the fact that, you know, again, we're just trying to go 500. And of course, what that means is that even though the record is modest at 27 and 22 at 55%, and the series record is modest at 9 and 5, though that's actually pretty good, that's 64%, is that we end up up over 12 units for the playoffs and again if you if you ask me to sign up for that i absolutely would is that almost entirely on the on the backs of the montreal canadians yeah it is almost 12 of those 12 plus units were on series and games that we were on montreal and i think that's a pretty good lesson right the lesson here isn't Oh, should we have just bet Montreal? Well, no, like that was never going to be a realistic thing. But the lesson is if we're betting things, one, let's not bet the entire world here. We only bet 49 games out of the, what, I think something close to 80. I had to tweet it out the other day. But the other thing is, it's like, yeah, we might just break even on all of the other stuff. But if on that path to the end of the playoffs, we find one team that's going to push us through, what difference does it make? And maybe in an alternative universe, that team might have been Minnesota. Now, I don't know that we necessarily would have been backing them against Colorado if that had been a situation there. But, you know, we did well on one series with, say, the Islanders in the first round, with Boston in the first round. You know, we did well with Minnesota, even in a losing cause in the first round. But, you know, there were obviously less than, you know, excellent results, right? Carolina right, in the second round. We did not do very well in that one. Boston in the second round, you know, we didn't obviously win uh, our series bets there. Same thing with Colorado, right? That's where two of our three losses in the uh, second round of the playoffs 
uh, went down. So fundamentally, what does that mean, right? Well, you know, you, I think you'll see, you know, we always kind of talk about, all right, Twitter, you know, different handicappers out there, you know, touting records and that sort of thing, right? And so the difference between, you know, what we're, we're doing here is like, we're not touting, you know, we're, we're just trying to make get hit 50%, right? We're not trying to tout a record here. And so when you see people touting 75, 80%, that means there's probably a lot of minus money in there. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they were actually profitable. And so when it comes to us here, the units are great, obviously close to 13 units. Like we will take that every single time. But what you want is you want people reporting their ROI, right? Their return on investment. So you take every single unit that we bet, right? That should be a column in your spreadsheet. And then how much you ended up over that number, right? And so we end up 17% with those, with that 12 plus units, we end up 17% over our investment. And so, you know, when it comes to sports betting, if we tr we're treating it as an investment, as an entertainment option for our investments, you know, certainly not a retirement fund by any means, but a fun, like risk, you know, high risk investment. You know, if I told you we're gonna go six weeks here and we're gonna return 17% of your money, you'd have signed up for that too. And so again, people out there talking about 40 units and whatever this and or, you know, oh, it's 67% and all of that sort of thing. One, that's those books are cooked, right? Like that is as fictional um, as mayor of Easttown, to be completely honest with you. Um, next up, the speech. Uh, and this is the spe same speech that I give in some, you know, degree or another uh, after every season, right? Whether it was football season, college basketball season, or now the NHL season. There are no guarantees in this business, right? And when we're talking about this business, I'm talking about sports betting, but I'm also talking about the content business. And again, a lot of this is sort of prideful. Um, this is not pri not necessarily prideful that we were able to win money, though that obviously helps. But again, I always feel really good that we come on this show and we give out bets, we talk about these bets, we are well-reasoned in these bets, and it takes a little bit more time, right? It's not a 30-second video where people tell you the history and then they don't really tell you why they're picking, who they're picking, and then they just make that pick. Or the pick is something that like anybody could have told you or you could have told yourself, and you're not really learning anything. And what I like about this podcast and where it's sort of gone here in the last calendar year is that, yeah, it's a little bit longer. And then somehow this podcast is going to be 45 minutes when in theory, like we have like two things to talk about, but it's the learning and sort of understanding and doing it together because nobody has all the answers. And, you know, whether it's us getting up eight units by the end of this season because we caught the wave of the Ottawa Senators towards the end of the year, right? And, or whether it's, you know, again, 12 plus units on the playoffs, there are no guarantees and there won't be a guarantee next year either. I will not come on before the sh before the season starts or before we start betting on hockey because to be honest with you, we're probably not going to be firing bets the very first night in the NHL. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But I'm not going to make you any guarantees, right? And the best that I can do is I can be here every day. We can talk about these games. Um, we have shown through various sports that over the long term, over the entire se season, that we're going to be on top. But again, that's not a guarantee either. There will be seasons, there will be sports that maybe it just doesn't fall our way. But if we get enough of a sample size, we're going to be all right. And so when you're consuming content out there, like make sure that there's some validity to that content. Make sure that there's some accountability to that content. And whether that's using apps or whether that's just being here every day, right? How much betting content do you see out there online where it's like, here's the pick, blah, 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 uh, you know, best of luck. And then nothing's ever said of it again. Do they come on a podcast the very next day? Do they have one? Do they come on their video the next day and say, hey, yesterday didn't work all that well, but here's my play for today. They probably don't, right? Because everything is short-term gratification. And what I like about this show is that it's long-term and hopefully there's gratification, there's knowledge and there's discussion built up because people you know, DM me and message me all the time. And as much as the like, hey, we won this bet, that's awesome. And the likes and all of that stuff is really fun. What I like better is when people DM me and go like, hey, um, what'd you think about this? Or, hey, you know, like maybe even sort of catching me on like if I have a bad stat or something like that or not a bad stat, but like I, you know, missed, misspoke or about something or just talking about a game going like, how yeah, we got lucky on that one. 
And you know what? We're allowed to get lucky because we're going to get unlucky on a ton of stuff. We're about to get, not about to, but we're coming around the corner here to the football season, which is just pretty much Plinko, right? Over and over and over again, just bounces, bounces, bounces. And then, you know, once the musical, once the music stops on musical chairs, you know, somebody's going to grab a seat and somebody's not going to have a seat. And sometimes we're going to be ass on the floor because, you know, the music stopped and we weren't right in front of a chair. And so a lot of this is luck. And so some of that is having that conversation and admitting that too. And that's the stuff that I don't see out there in the content business. And that's the stuff that gets me frustrated about the industry that we are in. But that makes me proud of what we do here every single day. When the season started, we put the let's do that hockey model to the test, right? And we tried to make it as simple as possible for everyone to understand, right? The things that are important because you can get into hockey metrics and it gets deep and it gets weird and it and different stuff has names like Corsi and all of these other things and we do a bunch of different stuff. And to try to simplify it down to even strength play, who's creating more high danger chances, what their conversion rate is and what we can expect it to be going forward and their general expected goals for at even strength. And then finally, how good is your goaltending, right? And is that the thing that's holding you back? And if we can keep those basics together, how well can we bet? How well can we do when we bet? And so I'm proud that we ended up winning based on that concept. This was the first year that I wrote daily about hockey for the Action Network or anywhere else, first time. And so if you caught those previews, I thank you for reading them. Hopefully they were entertaining. Again, trying to make this a thing that can be really dry when we talk about numbers and all of that sort of thing. Trying to make it as entertaining as possible before we get into that because there has to be a balance. Unfortunately, you know, the good stuff when it comes to hockey handicapping, getting into, and sports handicapping in general, right? Getting into the nitty gritty can be really boring, right? It can gloss, you know, you can gloss over it pretty quickly. The eyes can glaze. And so I tried to make that as entertaining as possible for you. So if you read those and you liked those, thank you, um, you know, and for engaging in some of those. I got some really nice things from a lot of uh, people about that. I hosted the Stanley Cup playoff preview podcast for the Action Network. If you told me I was going to do that at the start of the year, I would have told you you were insane. So, you know, awesome stuff as far as opportunities there is concerned. Made a handful of appearances on NHL.com's Fantasy on Ice show. Those guys are awesome over there. Super nice to have me back after the first time. Super nice to have me back after the second time where I think I spent 45 minutes trying to convince them that Montreal was going to win the series. Maybe because Montreal won the series, they invited me back. Maybe that's the only reason why. But if that's the case, that's okay too because at least they're recognizing game, if you will, right? Game recognize game. And so while they're a fantasy podcast over there, you know, and maybe relatively new to the whole sports betting angles, at least they're willing to sort of have people on to talk about it from that perspective. And so that was really fun. And so all of these things, and the point of all of this, is that all of these things make it more likely that this will exist next season. This podcast will exist this, this next season. Because if all of this stuff doesn't happen, and call it selfish, call it whatever, but if all of this stuff doesn't happen, then there's kind of no reason for me to turn the mic on five days a week, right? If there's no one there to hear it, right? Does the podcast even happen? And so that's why you guys are involved here as well, right? The negatives are obviously the people who don't get it. And if you're listening to this 30 plus minutes into the podcast already, like you already get it, you're already in, right? And that's why we try to get you, the smart people out there, to pass it along to other smart people because you probably travel in packs. That's basically how things work right the people who want to learn the people who want to understand and get better and listen you might have watched football for 30 years but what promise you we're all going to learn something this season but if you're new to hockey you know it's a little bit easier to sort of admit okay like i could learn more about betting and the fun part about betting is there's a ledger right if you're consistently losing money you're probably doing something wrong or if you get to the end of the stanley cup playoffs and you're up 10 11 12 maybe even more units you're going, yeah, I'm doing something right. And who are the sources to help you along the lines of doing that? But what I don't get is you get onto social media and you know I've made the mistake of going into the replies of not just my stuff, but other people's stuff as well. And you'll see somebody you know who is willing to, whether it's in a video, and that's the part I like about, about Twitter. 
and and the sort of content people out there is that like yeah if you're putting a video out there you're at least putting something out there maybe it's not very good maybe it doesn't have any sensical backing but at least you're putting it out there and i respect that right i've talked about other industries where i just respect people who are willing to put themselves out there and you look into the replies and people are like nope or you know after the fact you're celebrating some team winning and they go no that team didn't deserve to win as if we don't already know sort of what the deservometer says at the end of the game based on the metrics, right? But I, what I don't get is like, you have three options when you're consuming this content, right? Like you can bet with us, you can have patience and understanding, and you can win over the course of the season. And maybe there's gonna be a couple of down weeks along the way. Maybe there's gonna be points where we turn the mic on and we're talking about how we're in the weeds and we don't really know what's going on here. We don't get it. How could this be, blah, blah, blah. But there's also going to be weeks where it's going really well. Right? where the Ottawa Senators finished the season 9-2 and two, and we're on them at plus money every single game. That's really fun. And you can learn and think and help make and have us help you make your own decisions. Fundamentally, that's what you're going to do anyway. Right? I have people saying, like, oh, I bet this, bet that. I'm like, who told you to do that? And it's not like I'm telling you to make it, these bets. I'm telling you what bets I'm making and why I'm making them. And no one's ever going to be able to tail anybody 100%. It's why when the guy in the hot tub turn, you know, video comes on and he's talking about making a play that night, even if you're going to bet every single video that he makes, do you think he's making one bet per day? No. So maybe he is a successful better, only his videos stink. I don't know the answer to that. I couldn't begin to know the answer to that. And so make your own decisions, but be open to learning and have the conversation. Fundamentally, we're a community here where we want to be talking about sports betting more than we want to just be putting up, you know, videos, removing ourselves from it, and then talking about a record that is absolutely false way, way later. Option number two is don't bet with us. And then at that point, why do you care? Why do you care that Italy won and maybe they didn't deserve it? Why do you care that Montreal like wasn't better than Vegas this season? Why does that matter to you if you're not betting with us at all, right? Like you're mad because somebody else won money off of a sports book that you don't own? Like who cares? And then your third option is bet against us. Listen to the podcast, write everything down, go the other way. You're going to lose money long term, but... And you might not learn anything. Maybe you will learn anything or learn something. But take your, you know, you're going to take your little victories, right? You're going to win 45% of the time, right? If you had taken every single bet that we made here and you had just flipped it and you had faded every single thing that we did, you were going to win 45% of the time. That's 45 chances over 100 where you get to come on Twitter and tell me that I'm an idiot or, you know, that, I, you know, this team was wrong and blah, 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 blah right? And if that's the way you're going to treat this, then that's really kind of a big issue for you personally. It's free content, right? That for the last year has won us money over the entire NHL season twice, once in the bubble to absolutely astronomical levels. In the NBA bubble, the NFL, which literally everybody bets, and college basketball, including the subset of March Madness. If you had showed up at any time during the course of that season, you would have won money. So why the negativity? Why do we have to be so negative, right? Fundamentally, we're just here to learn, have a good time, and play this stuff recreationally. And if you can't do that, then maybe betting just isn't for you. All right, enough ranting and raving. Let's get into the NBA Finals, Game 2 here. And so fundamentally, what are we taking away from Game 1? What are we extrapolating towards Game 2? And a couple of different things here that I expect for Game 2. I expect better defense from milwaukee so fundamentally much of what i'm going to do is based on the idea that milwaukee and i hate using the phrase adjustments when it comes to budenholzer but i'm going to sort of do that right i think that their defense is going to be better whether it's a little bit more energy because you know obviously phoenix had the better advantage from that standpoint from a rest standpoint right like that was always going to work out in favor of phoenix now did that mean that they were guaranteed to cover six points or even the four and a half that it closed, like none of that obviously is a guarantee. But defensively, right, like that's energy. We always talk about hustle and all of that sort of thing when it comes to 
defense. So I think everything gets better defensively for Milwaukee. I don't know if it gets any better offensively for Milwaukee, but I think it gets better defensively for Milwaukee. So I'm going to go back to the well here with the under 220 and a half. It's actually a little bit higher than that first game, which I don't totally understand because the first game of the series, right? Teams are unfamiliar with each other. Um, they're more likely to be able to run plays, whether it's, you know, out of timeout stuff or just their general, um, you know, normal stuff. It's going to work a lot better in the first game than it is going to in, say, game seven, right? It's why game sevens are often much more low scoring. I'd like to bet Milwaukee plus the points. I'd like to bet Milwaukee on the money line. And maybe I split a unit doing that because we've talked about it all week uh, or at least a couple of times this week. But the idea of if Milwaukee loses game one, come back on Milwaukee in game two. I'd like to bet the first quarter for Milwaukee, but the problem there is their starting lineup with Lopez might be their least optimal lineup, something we've talked about all playoff long, depending on who's available, you know, whether Giannis is available or who's available for the opposing team. But the Lopez lineup might be the least optimal one. So as much as you think energy and whatnot for, you know, the first quarter of a game, if we're already kind of behind it from a personnel standpoint, I don't necessarily want to do that. From a prop standpoint, a couple of interesting things here. The one I like most, and it's going to be a sort of need some explanation, not because it's that complicated, but the reasoning why, is Chris Paul over eight and a half assists. And you're going like, wait, hold on a second. Tuesday, we didn't like over eight and a half. And here's why. On Tuesday, over eight and a half assists was minus 150 from a pricing standpoint, right? Chris Paul to have a double-double, which of course means 10 points, 10 assists. We assume the points are going to happen, right? Obviously, there's a slight chance that he doesn't get 10 points. Obviously, injury is an element there as well. But if that's the case, the assists aren't going to come either. But the chances of him not getting to 10 points, but still getting to 10 points from an, or 10 assists is really, really unlikely. And so we bet it. We bet it at plus 120. We thought there was value in plus 120, especially in comparison to minus 150 for the over on Chris Paul assists. It lost. He had nine assists. Okay, we talked about that. We sort of predicted that it was going to happen that way. And of course it does. Here's the thing. Both those prices have changed. Over eight and a half assists is now minus 130. It is not minus 150. And the Chris Paul double-double, maybe more interestingly, isn't plus 120 anymore. It's even money. So the market has actually decided, and the sportsbooks have decided, Chris Paul is actually more likely in this game to get a double-double, right? By pricing this at plus 100 instead of plus 120. It's more likely. But they've dropped the price on his over eight and a half assists. So instead of, look at it this way. Right, One price was minus 150 in game one, and the other price was plus 120. So that's 70, right? That's 70 cents difference. Now these two props are minus 130 and plus 100. That's 30 cents difference. And nothing's really changed because it's not like he had 15 assists or, or just five assists. He was right on the number. There's no reason to believe that he wouldn't just hit nine again tonight. But we're getting much better pricing here for minus 130 than at plus 100, right? That extra assist wasn't worth 70 cents before. It's probably closer to 30 cents, which is where the price is now. And so fundamentally, even though we lost that bet, like the good news is this actually proves that that bet back then was actually a really good bet from, again, just a mathematical probability standpoint. Again, another example of a good bet that was priced, uh, you know, wrong and didn't win. And so the, the sports books, the market has made that adjustment to the pricing and has made a more accurate price. And now we can get in at Chris Paul over eight and a half assists. Now, from a basketball standpoint, a couple of different elements here. First and foremost, right? What do we want to base this off of? We want to base it off the idea that Milwaukee is going to play better defense, Pick and roll defense was a problem for Milwaukee. They threw a bunch of different things at uh, Phoenix. Are they going to be able to stop them in, during this pick and roll? Perhaps not. But when Chris Paul scores as many points as he does and he gets that many open shots, the adjustment there, if you're watching in film, has to be let's stop Chris Paul from shooting. Let's not give him the shot because whether it was game six against the Clippers or game one in this series, 
He's making these baskets. Let's make other people beat us if, you know, if you're Milwaukee. And so you're sitting there and you're looking at the box score and you're going like, wow, Jay Crowder was like 0 for 8. And Devin Booker was like 1 for 8 from three-point line and wasn't particularly efficient from an entire offensive standpoint. You go, okay, well, let's let Crowder shoot. Let's let Booker shoot. Even though Bridges shot pretty well, let's let him shoot. Let's let literally anybody else shoot. Well, if that's the case, right, the pick and roll defense now has to be designed to stop letting Chris Paul have open shots, whether that's being more physical. Uh, Drew Holiday had one foul. I'd like to see more fouls, as strangely as this sounds. I'd like to see more fouls from Drew Holiday or anybody who's in, in the mix on that pick and roll defense, right? If, if uh, Brooke Lopez is in that pick and roll defense, let's see him put a body on Chris Paul. If he's only going to play 20 minutes in this game because he's, you know, again, not that functional when it comes to, you know, the defense that they're going to have to play, let's see him throw a body around. I'm not saying hurt Chris Paul. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, like, the fact that the people who are involved in that defense only had, you know, very few fouls in the, in the run of that play is kind of crazy to me. Now, maybe that means that Chris Paul is going to go to the line a bunch of times. Maybe that means whomever is going to go to the line a bunch of times. But what I think fundamentally it's going to mean over the course of the entire game is that Chris Paul is going to play off of that and is going to be more of a distributor, which is fundamentally in his DNA. It's not asking that much. If the pick and roll defense involves bringing a third person, some help defense along the way, that's going to leave open people for Phoenix. Now we could try to pick and choose who that guy is going to be and be like, okay, let's bet the over on Crowder or let's bet the over on Bridges or the over on this guy to score these points. When I can just get all of them, I can just get them all when I'm taking Chris Paul assists over eight and a half. Add in the fact that, you know, if you're a point guard and you have the third most shots in the game and the second most shots attempted on the team, even if you made them all, you're still going to have point guard guilt. And what point guard guilt is, I didn't get my teammates involved enough. And if you're Chris Paul, you're probably not just sitting back, putting your feet up and lightening a cigar and going, I'm awesome. We won game one, job done. He is probably sitting there going like, probably could have done better to get my teammates involved. I tried to in the first quarter, wasn't working, and that's why I took over. They were giving me the shots that I took, Milwaukee was. And you can be okay with that, but at the same time, you're going to see something different defensively, and I think you're going to see even more of a pass-first mentality from Chris Paul. Now, maybe that means he's the first pass after two or three passes along the way. The Suns only had assists on out of 41 baskets. They only had assists, 18 of the 41. That's pretty low for a team uh, that has Chris Paul. So again, a couple of different reasons why I think he goes over eight and a half, but I think he does. Uh, I think the guys, right, the guys just make more shots as well, right? I think Milwaukee forces Phoenix, other guys to beat them, even Booker, but I think they actually do from a shooting standpoint. Now, again, might that take some adjustment? Might that not mean overall that uh, Phoenix is going to get, you know, how many points they have, 118, something like that in the in, in game one? You know, I, I don't know, right? So we could play the team total under on Phoenix, but I'd just rather kind of take the entire game under because I'm also not necessarily sure the Bucks are going to score all that much either. Because again, as we talked about after the last game, Phoenix's defense is the best the Bucks has seen, right? Even against the Nets, like that's not a very good defensive team. And that was sort of lost in all of the chaos of that series is that like the Nets defense was never any good, right? And same thing with the Hawks. And I think that's what we saw in game one. So I expect this game fundamentally to be a lot lower scoring. So under 220 and a half is the fundamental bet there. But I think Chris Paul does a little bit better from a distribution standpoint. Uh, we had a lot of success in game one with DeAndre Ayton. And it's sort of in my DNA to go, you know, kind of like robbing a bank, right? Like I'm now, I'm not going back there the next day. We're not talking about a point spread. We're not talking about a total. We're not talking about something that people are betting on necessarily a ton. We're talking about a rebounds prop. And so the number goes from 11.5 to 12.5. So there is an adjustment made. The sportsbooks are making something of an adjustment. So that means his uh, 15 rebound prop, right? The um, alternative rebound prop goes from plus 300 down to plus 250. And I go, okay, like we're not getting paid out as much. But I still think it's a really good bet. 
Still think it's a good bet that Aiton gets 13 rebounds in the game, and I'm willing to take a shot that he gets a couple more of those to get to 15 to juice that up a little bit more. So I'm back on the Aiton rebound train. Now we've got, in game two, an understanding that Giannis is playing. That's obviously a difference from game one, where we had some bets that were based on the idea of him not playing. So if we know that he's playing, what did we see? Okay, you didn't shoot a ton, necessarily. Still managed 20 points. Don't really want to mess around with the points all that much, but I want to do two things here when it comes to the Bucks' offense. I want to take under on Giannis 42.5 points, rebounds, and assists because what we saw is he was tearing down rebounds left, right, and center, had 17 rebounds. We talked about how crazy that was and how that basically, not single-handedly, of course, but almost single-handedly, got him over his PRA prop bet. I don't think he's getting 17 rebounds, but it obviously shows that he's certainly capable and desiring of going and getting rebounds. So if I don't think he's getting 17 and we're moving this PRA number from 38.5 up to 42.5, he's going to have to score a lot more to make up the difference. I don't, again, I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case because I respect Phoenix's defense. So I'm going to take under on Giannis at 42.5 PRA, but I'm also going to take under on Lopez rebounds at 5.5. And again, for a guy who's seven feet tall and, you know, you just assume, okay, five and a half rebounds is really, really low. But again, if Giannis is around, that means that Lopez has to play on the perimeter offensively. And we also know that defensively it didn't really work out all that well. And if he's only going to play 20 minutes, maybe even less, depending on what the Bucks have in store here for this game too, then any sort of under on Lopez is interesting to me. But he could still play on the outside and make two or three three-pointers and eventually get over his you know, 16, 15, 16 and a half point total. So what I want to do is I want to play the rebounds. And you know, maybe he ends up with six defensive rebounds. But if he's going to play on the outside, there's not going to be much in the way of offensive rebounds. So under five and a half rebounds for Lopez, under 42 and a half for Giannis on the points, rebound, and assists market. Lastly, Johnson. Uh, Cam Johnson over one and a half three-pointers for Phoenix. He had two of four, so he's getting shots. Uh, he obviously had success there as well. And what the difference here is he played pretty well defensively in that game, which means he's more likely to get more minutes. And the interesting thing here, not that he plays center here, but with Saric out, it kind of changes the rotation for Phoenix, right? Maybe it means that Aiton has to play more minutes, or maybe they just have to be bigger when they go small. So what that means is if Aiton comes out and is it going to be Frank Kaminsky that's going to get a bunch of minutes, right? Or is it just a, um, you know, sort of longer lineup one through five, right? So you can either go like small guard, you know, Chris Paul, you, you know, as an example, big, big man, DeAndre Aiton, or you can kind of even things up, right? And when Paul goes out and Aiton goes out, Maybe it means everybody on the floor is 6'3 to 6'8, something along those lines. And I think if Cam Johnson can actually play defense, he's going to play a little bit more. He's making shots and all of that sort of thing. So he's going to get his opportunities. Maybe he's only going to get four shots and we need him to make two again. Maybe he gets five or six because he plays a couple extra minutes. Maybe he's one of those guys that we just talked about with regards to Chris Paul getting the distribute this distribution from Chris Paul and he's the guy who's getting these shots who knows but over one and a half at plus 105 even money is good enough for me in that department so that's how I'm playing the NBA uh, finals game two tonight uh, lastly euro 2020 wild ride yesterday um, we get the draw plus 260 for it took us that long not that we've been playing too many draws but finally got a draw to go our way again I shouldn't say finally I think we've literally played three of them but still that was really fun um, outrageous ending to that game and I tweeted out not because I care because once we hit the draw like I don't care whether Denmark or England wins right whomever wins like we'll figure out what we're going to do with our Italy futures when when we get there and so I don't really care what's going to happen but there's a ball on the field and like they don't blow the game down and then all of a sudden they you know uh, the guy dives and they review it and like 
you'd think, okay, when we review things, we're going to be able to see that this shouldn't be a penalty. Like common sense has to come in, but it has to be no. Like if there's any contact whatsoever, it kind of doesn't matter that he dives. Like what sense does that make from a VAR st standpoint? Anyway, another situation where I just go, how do people like care so much about this sport when it's the results are based on just absolute nonsense in a lot of ways? Um, Meanwhile, you know, uh, Schmeichel stops the the PK from from Harry Kane, but Kane gets the rebound because like that's allowed for some for whatever reason. As if you couldn't just blow the whistle then, and then hilariously, like two minutes later, another ball comes on the pitch, like halfway up the pitch, and they literally blow the whistle and stop the game because there's a ball on the field, and you're just like, where was that a couple of minutes ago? Anyway, so just a complete drama fest which again i is the appeal of soccer and just kind of cracks me up that like i get it england won and like they should be super excited but it's just like the idea that like what happened there was not a big deal and that they weren't really really fortunate in about five different ways um and it's just like yeah of course we won like it's coming home it's like what did I just witness? Like, how is it that sort of cut and dry for you to be that excited about it? That being said, we turn our attention to Sunday's final at Euro 2020. Here are our options, right? We have one unit right now to win eight units at eight to one, right? On Italy. What do we want to do? Do we want to keep that going? Do we want to flip and back England? The other options are a pure, not hedge, but sort of a free roll. What that means is you take 1.2 units, right? It's minus 120 for England to advance, or I shouldn't say advance, to hoist the trophy, and plus 100 for Italy to hoist the trophy. So we're obviously getting a really good price at plus 800 uh, on Italy to win the tournament uh, and hoist the trophy. Or you go minus 120 to win a unit on England and pay for your bet. At that point, you are free rolling Italy for 6.8 units because, again, if Italy wins, you get your 8 units, you lose minus 1.2, so you're up 6.8. Now, why would you do that? Well, if your initial investment was massive or was large and you just can't bear to lose that initial investment on the Italy plus 800. So it feels unlikely that that would be the case right? You are not that deep into the weeds here with Italy um, that you absolutely need to get your money back off of that original bet. So option number three here is you bet on England because you're like, you know what? I like England. I am English. I want to bet on England. I think they're going to win all of the above, right? At which point you have eight units of equity in Italy. I would take 9.6 units, right? I would take that and I would bet on England at 9.6 units to win eight units, that way, you end up with minus 1.6 units if England loses, not a disaster, and you win 7 if England wins. So in either case, you're in a good spot if they win, right? You're either winning 8 to 1 units on Italy if you go that route, or obviously you're getting a little bit worse of a price. You're getting, you know, whatever 7 divided by 1.6 is. That's quick math. That's like four and a half to one type of a situation. So which would you rather have? Would you rather have England at four and a half to one? Or would you rather have Italy at eight to one? So let's talk about it from a soccer standpoint, right? Fundamentally, England's route, talked about it with Ted the other day. It's a bunch of one nothing games. That's what they like to play. The Germany game. Could have gone a couple of different ways if Thomas Mueller scores. Is Germany even that good? Like, I understand from a political standpoint and a country versus country standpoint, like, beating Germany is a really big deal. But that version of Germany, right, was that team even that good? I believe, I think, England was favored in that game. Next game, they beat Ukraine. 4 nothing. Well, we've talked about Ukraine. That team stinks. That Denmark game is a one nothing game for England right? The odds, look at, look at from an expected goal standpoint, that's where expected goals can kind of come in handy, right? Like what should that game have actually been yesterday? And the truth is that game should have been one nothing England and never even gotten to extra time. But Denmark hits an absolute cracker of a goal off of a free kick that goes just under the bar. Incredible shot, but not something that's going to be repeated over and over and over again, right? It's like chipping in from a bunker, Okay, I might chip in from a bunker, but if you dropped 100 more balls into that bunker, I'm not going to make that shot, right? It was a 1 in 100 shot, Doc. Same sort of deal here with Denmark's goal. 
Did they get much in the way of offense the rest of the way? Not really. So again, that was just yet another one to nothing game for England. Now you look at Italy, Italy's route, Spain, Belgium, an Austrian team that was sneaky good, right? That I don't think we gave enough credit to because, again, they ran into Italy in the round of 16. In group play, Switzerland, a team that beat France, right? If we had known that Switzerland was going to beat France when they played Italy, we'd be giving Italy even more credit for that victory. And then they trucked Turkey and they trucked Wales, right? So, like, what's the thing that we don't like about Italy? Well, we go, okay, England, like, they conceded finally for the first time. Well, when you're playing a bunch of one nothing games against Czech Republic, Scotland, a, you know, banged up, not that good Croatia team, um, the Ukraine, like, you know, yeah, you're probably not going to concede. It's a lot more impressive to not concede against Belgium, Austria, Switzerland, even Wales, even Turkey over the course of an entire tournament. So I understand why England's favored in this game. It's at Wembley. Like, that's concerning. England was also the favorite coming into this tournament, and there hasn't really been a reason not to think that they should keep that status above Italy, right? Like, if England was, I think they were like plus 700, something along those lines, right? So they've always kind of been on the inside track relative to Italy, and nothing's changed. Part of that was because they would have home pitch advantage the entire tournament, or just about. Well, still the case. They're still at home. So I get why England's favored here. I also don't think that that necessarily matters in this game, and it might be a detriment, right? It's one thing making this final. We talked to Ted about the idea of how easy it's felt from a route standpoint, right? A not-so-good German team, a, a group that wasn't very good, like the second-best team in that group was a team that peaked three years ago in Croatia. A crappy Ukraine team. Again, a Denmark team that was impressive up until this point, but doesn't get much in the way of scoring opportunities. And the other thing is, this is two teams that just don't give up goals. And so it's going to be a really low-scoring game, right? The both team to score prop, the yes is a plus price. I'm not saying bet it, I'm just telling you, like the market thinks that only one of these teams is going to score. The under is mega-juiced. So the market doesn't think there's going to be much in the way of scoring. So this is razor's edge type stuff here. One team is going to score according to the market, or is you know the probability is that only one team scores. Who that's going to be, I don't know, right? It's about a 50-50 chance, right? And if you think that nobody scores, right? And then this goes to extra time. Everything just kind of goes back to 50-50, right? 50-50 this, 50-50 that. We go to penalties, 50-50. This is a 50-50 game. And so if our choice is England at plus 450 or so, or Italy at plus 800, which would you rather have? Well, I'd rather have Italy plus 800. So I'm going to stick with Italy. We're going to ride with it. Again, this is a coin flip game. Who knows what's going to happen? But I'd rather be sitting there with plus 800. And if I had plus 800 on England, if you were sitting there, maybe you're listening to this right now and you're going like, well, I've got plus 800 on England from whenever. And I don't know, I would kind of rather Italy. And you can do a little bit more with that because Italy's even money. You can get plus 800 with Italy just by turning around and betting all of your England equity on Italy. So there's a bunch of different ways you can go, but i just rather have the better price. And in this case, that better price is plus 800 with Italy. Uh, no pod tomorrow. Um, Friday off, again, would have had it if we had another hockey game to talk about. We're letting it ride for Italy, so obviously we don't really need um, to discuss anything more when it comes to Euro 2020. Got a text from Ted today about Argentina-Brazil, if anybody's interested in a little Saturday night Copa. He says, uh, I feel like there hasn't been a game decided in regulation time in like a week, so he's a little gun-shy when it comes to Brazil at plus 110. So the draw is sort of interesting. Um, take that for what it's worth. He obviously wants, and I think most people want Argentina to win the game because for Brazil, it's just another trophy on their mantle when it comes to Argentina, right? Like Messi and the whole that whole story. I think anybody who's sort of interested in soccer from a historic standpoint would like to see him win a trophy. So maybe it's just to stay away and kind of watch from that standpoint. Um, 
NBA game three is Sunday. I think we can handle that on Twitter. I'll post the props and the sides and the totals and whatever I'm betting on Twitter. So you can look for that at MRussAuthentic. Uh, two pods next week as we go down, you know, we sort of downsize here for the next few weeks. Summer holidays, if you will. Summer hours. Um, summer bankers hours. Podcast hours. Uh, two pods next week. Monday, NBA talk with Shell. Obviously, we'll talk about the first three games of this series and where we sort of see that going forward get into a little deeper with my man then and then wednesday british open preview and you know maybe some nba though there won't literally isn't a game between monday's conversation and wednesday so um you know maybe we have some more specifics as far as what we might be betting on uh, on wednesday's game but fundamentally a british open preview first british open in two years i'm excited about that i'm watching the scottish open right now it's somehow way sunnier than it is here in toronto which is very strange uh and then it's like i said pop-ups the rest of the summer once a week or so different guests slow ramp up to the football season one that will be coming around the corner from a pop-up episode standpoint is the nfl las vegas contest episode that one you won't want to miss uh we're we're going to have details on how you can buy a piece of the podcast's Circa Survivor entry. If you don't know what Circa Survivor is, that is definitely an episode that you should listen to. If you have been around for a year um, and you were with us for the NFL last year, you know what the Circa um, contest is and you know what we did with that as far as everybody had a, their own specific week and they got to come on the podcast and give their survivor pick for it or discuss their survivor pick with me for every Sunday that was a ton of fun we're going to be doing that again um, so that's your chance to be on the podcast and make a pick and by the way like potentially win a bunch of money if we somehow won the circus survivor contest but details on all of that are happening Thanks again for the engagement during this hockey season. It was a wild time. If you made any money or learned anything, give a quick review to the podcast and share it on social media. I'm at MRussAuthentic on Twitter back on Monday. Until then, I'll see you at the window.